The title of this sermon is Road Builders Needed. Yes, you heard that right. Road Builders Needed. And my text from Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come and he is coming again to establish it universally. As Isaiah foresaw in our first reading, it will prove to be a peaceable kingdom. And as Paul wrote in our second reading, it is a kingdom for Jew and Gentile alike throughout the whole world. But the kingdom is not past and future. It is also present. It is always at hand. So John's message is for us. Repent. Turn around. Change your mind. Change your heart. Change your direction. Of course, in the Advent season, there are sins to be confessed, addictions to be exposed and challenged, disciplines to be renewed. But what about getting on with your master's business? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, says Jesus. What are we going to do in Advent about the kingdom being at hand? The kingdom, that offer of a right relationship, a reconciled relationship with God as sovereign, which comes to us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, his son. What are we going to do about sharing this reality, which gives us life and hope in this Advent season? Road builders are sorely needed. I say that because I'm thinking about the example of John the Baptist. After Jesus and Peter and Paul, John is perhaps the most fully realized figure in the entire New Testament. All four Gospels are rich with material about John. He was born six months before Jesus to Elizabeth, a cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Zechariah, a priest. They were of advanced years, and Elizabeth had been barren. One day, while Zechariah was burning incense in the temple, an angel appeared to him to announce the birth of a son, to be named John, who would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb and turn many in Israel back to God. Zechariah doubted the angel and was, as a consequence, stricken dumb until the baby should be born. Once the baby was born and ready to be named on the eighth day, Zechariah dutifully wrote on a tablet, his name is John. And immediately, Zechariah was again able to speak. He praised God foreseeing that his child would go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. John grew up in the wilderness of Judea and about 25 or 26 AD began to preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in preparation for the coming of Messiah. Repent, he said for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
in Roman-occupied Judea, and in Galilee ruled by the corrupt and extravagant Herod Antipas, the message was electrifying. And soon great crowds found John and knelt before him for baptism in the muddy waters of the River Jordan, confessing their sins. As our gospel reading from Matthew makes clear, John anticipated that the coming Messiah would judge the people of God as a farmer separates the worthless chaff from the wheat and cuts down trees that do not bear good fruit. John denounced the pride and self-righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious establishment of the day who controlled the enterprises of temple sacrifice and Torah interpretation. John condemned the greed and corruption of soldiers and tax collectors. And John called out immorality in high places, notably in the family of Herod Antipas. But John made clear to one and all that he was not the Messiah, whose sandals he said he was unworthy to carry, but rather he was Messiah's advance man, his forerunner, his herald, one crying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John was a road builder for Messiah. One day, and it was the climax of his ministry, John looked down to see his cousin Jesus of Nazareth kneeling before him in the Jordan River to be baptized. John demurred, but Jesus insisted. And when Jesus went up from the water, John, along with Jesus, saw the Spirit descending like a dove and heard the heavenly voice saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. From that moment on, John witnessed to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, said John. And two of his disciples, Andrew and Simon Peter, left him to follow Jesus. As his own ministry dwindled, he described himself as the joyful best man at the wedding of Messiah and the people of God. He must increase, but I must decrease. There must have been many of his disciples, in addition to Simon Peter and Andrew, who left him to follow after Jesus. Sometime after this, John was arrested and, and imprisoned by Herod Antipas for denouncing as unlawful Herod's marriage to Herodias, whom he had stolen from his brother Philip. In prison, John must have thought to himself, surely the judgment begins now. The Messiah will rescue his prophet from an evil ruler and administer justice in his stead as a righteous king. But nothing of the sort happened. So John sent word by some of his disciples to Jesus and said, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? For John, the crisis of faith was acute. The judgment he preached was not occurring. Had he been wrong about Jesus? Was Jesus the Messiah? And Jesus' response is crucial to how we understand his ministry. He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. 
lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus, I think, was saying, I am Messiah, the Son of God, in whom the Spirit of God is specially present. But for now, my ministry is one of healing and teaching, restoring and redeeming. This is not yet the time of judgment. This is the age of grace. Not only was John not delivered by Jesus from prison, but he died there. At Herod's birthday party, Herodias' daughter Salome danced lasciviously for Herod. Aroused, he swore an oath to give her whatever she might ask for. And as you may know from reading fairy tales, this usually turns out badly, as it did in this occasion. Prompted by her mother, who hated John for his condemnation of her remarriage, Salome asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. King Herod was sorry, but bound by his oath, he ordered John beheaded and his head given to Salome. John's disciples buried the rest of his body and sent word to Jesus about what had happened. We can remember John as a courageous martyr for the faith as he understood it, We can remember him as the last of the Old Testament prophets. We can remember him as someone who knew who he was and who he wasn't and led no one astray in thinking that he might be Messiah. His witness to Jesus was profound and elevated. His own disciples formed the leadership corps of Jesus' twelve. But most important, perhaps, we can remember John as one who pointed others to Jesus by his witness, and more than that, as one who prepared a way for Jesus into their hearts and lives. John was a road builder. The full quotation from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5, which John in his ministry fulfilled, is this. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, in ancient times, the visit of the king was a thing to be hoped for, if he was a good and just ruler. But if the roads were bad, he might not come. Or he might arrive late, shortening his visit. Or he might arrive all jounced and bounced in his chariot, making him tired and grumpy. Those of us living in and around Boston know what bad roads do to the speed and comfort of the traveler not to speak of his safety. In the ancient world, the news that the king was coming set off a good deal of road building so that his arrival would be possible, speedy, and comfortable. The road building metaphor defines John's ministry. He was the fulfillment of Isaiah's vision. 
He wanted to level hills of pride and self-righteousness by his prophetic denunciation. He wanted to fill in valleys of need and deprivation by encouraging people to share what they could spare. He wanted to straighten out the crookedness of misunderstandings about God and the identity of the promised Messiah and to smooth the rough places where soul or body had been injured or oppressed. To what end? So that people would see and experience the salvation God had prepared for them in Jesus. What about you and me? This Advent, could we be about our master's business? Could we be road builders like John? to make a way into another life for Jesus? I think so. I hope so. And I challenge you to pray asking God to show you someone in your life who needs to be helped to find a way to Jesus. It might be a roommate or a sibling or a parent or a work colleague or a fixture in your world, someone you see every day, like the barista at your cafe, your bicycle repairman, a janitor in your building, a friend on Facebook. Who is it who needs help to find a way for Jesus and for whom God calls you to help prepare that way? This Advent, road builders are needed. If someone comes to mind, ask God to show you what they need. Do they have hills of pride and self-righteousness? You may not be able to challenge these directly. Can your humility and loving service weaken and undermine those hills by your example? Do they have basic needs with which you can help? Not necessarily just financial needs. Needs are also psychological and spiritual? Do they suffer from crooked misunderstandings about God and his will for them? It always astonishes me to dialogue with a PhD in the hard sciences and discover that he has a fourth grader's concept of the Christian faith. Apparently that was when he stopped going to Sunday school. Are there rough places in their souls, especially wounds caused by their previous encounters with church or Christians, which your prayer and your counsel can help to heal? I'm not asking you for much, just one other person for whom you might begin road building for Jesus in this Advent season. If we all were to do this, Would our numbers double by Christmas? I doubt it. By Easter? Probably not. I'm talking about an effort of uncertain duration and even less certain results. But in light of our three-month series on 1 Corinthians 13 and agape love, I am talking about and asking you to act on what is undoubtedly the most loving thing you can do for another person, which is to help make a way into their lives for the love of God, which isn't ultimately an ideal or a moral principle 
or a positive force, but a person, Jesus Christ. John did it. Why not us? Amen.